This is Charlotte Donlin, and you're listening to Hope for the Lonely. Learn more about my first book, The Great Belonging, and my other writing and work at charlottedonlin.com. All right, I've been thinking a lot about the connections between loneliness and busyness lately. I think those connections are multifaceted. We can avoid our loneliness with our busyness. We can be too busy to think about others' loneliness, and we can be too busy to engage with God, others, and ourselves in ways that might decrease our sense of loneliness. So I read last week that young adults are some of the loneliest people in the United States, according to the study done last year by Cigna. And I've mentioned this study um, a couple of times in previous episodes, but I don't remember this point sticking out as much in the past as it has been um, in the last week or two. But I'll link to this study and the other articles I mentioned in this episode in the show notes for this episode. And you can find links to the show notes at charlottedonlin.com. Just click on Hope for the Lonely podcast. So young adults are some of the loneliest people in the United States. And um, one article about this points out that phones and social media are not the problem for these lonely young Americans. And um, that point echoes what I've heard from a couple of people who work with college students. What I'm hearing from them is young adults are too busy to engage meaningfully with others because they are doing everything they can to be successful, to do what they need to do to prove they're worthy of a job, to prove they're worthy of a partner, to prove they're worthy of anything. So I found a Chicago Tribune article written by Heidi Stevens, um, I think it was written in last year after that Cygnus study came out. And she says that um, it's tempting to blame our devotion to devices, but social media use is not a predictor of loneliness, according to that Cygnus survey. Respondents defined as heavy users of social media scored 43.5 on the loneliness scale compared to 41.7 for people who said they never use social media. So there's not a big difference there. And um, Heidi Stevens turns to author and educator Rachel Simmons to get her input on this. Um, Simmons wrote a book, Enough As She Is, How to Help Girls Move Beyond Impossible Standards of Success to Live Healthy, Happy, and Fulfilling Lives. Um, I'm definitely going to read that book in the near future to you know, go deeper into this topic. But um, Simmons is the leadership development specialist at Smith College. And she told um, Stevens that students frequently confide in her that they're lonely. And whenever she encourages them to check in with a friend or go to the gym, they always tell her they can't afford to take the time because they don't want to fall behind in their studies and in doing everything they need to do to prove their worth and value to other people. Um, she, she quotes Simmons saying that um, a lot of people on college campuses have the sense that I have to work and be busy all the time, but at the same time, I can never do enough work and everyone else is doing so much work. And if I don't work all the time and if I don't keep up, I'm not going to be smart. I'm not going to have a good life. I'm not going to be successful. So this is what we have created in our young adults in this country. Um, 
a friend of mine chimed in on Facebook and said that this is very um, common in her life. Her name is Haley Cotton, and she teaches um, undergraduate writing and literature here in Birmingham at the University of Alabama at Birmingham. And here's what she has to say about this. This is Haley Cotton. We've turned into a performative culture where our value is based on what we can produce and how effectively we use our time. This generation of rising college students has never really had the advantage of unstructured playtime. They've been ushered from school to after-school activities to finally homework and bed. Their weekends consist of tutoring, athletics, and private lessons in one thing or another. They've been told where to go and what to do their entire lives without the autonomy of their own decisions. So now, as adults, they've equated success with busyness. If they can't perform to elite standards 100% of the time, and face it, we are human, no one can, then their self-image is destroyed, and they are left anxious, depressed, and with feelings of worthlessness. The drive to do more, be more, leaves them cutting out essential activities like making friends, downtime, time with family, and time for hobbies. What we have right now is a group of young people being told that their self-image relies on how they perform instead of who they are on a basic human level. So when they hit college and are challenged with failure, which always comes, the results are devastating. And since they've cut out the support groups necessary to survive this human existence, they are left alone. This is why it is so important to me as a college instructor instructor to focus on building community between my students and my courses. I really appreciate um, her input here. And I think if we're hearing this from several different people, it's, uh, you know, something we should be paying attention to in the kind of pressure that we put on our kids um, as parents and as um, students within our school systems, K through 12, and at the college level. Um, It also just makes me sad from a faith standpoint that the gospel is not being communicated to these kids or to these young adults, or if it is being communicated, it's not being heard and they're not able to apply it to um, their vocation and their studies and their work. So I also heard from someone who lives in Canada who is in this um, age bracket, and this is what he has to say about loneliness and busyness. With regards to loneliness and busyness in this generation, I think there are a few contributors to its prevalence. First, the advent of technology. So he's saying that technology does have something to do with it, which I'm sure it does. Technology impacts all areas of our lives. Um, but he says, my generation, the late millennial, has has missed experiencing the world in an intrinsically spiritual and healthy way. For instance, one thing that stood out to me was how my generation never pauses The second they have to wait for something, they go to their phone. This way of looking at the world is absolutely toxic. Quick relationships, fast cars, fast food, etc. Our phones keep us from breathing the air, imagining stories, feeling complete, inventing, writing, thinking, etc. These are the things that push feelings of loneliness. It's the same adage, we are more connected than ever and yet more divided than ever. 
I know I'm echoing, this is still um, this young man talking. I know I'm echoing the sound of every criticism of modernism and postmodernism. Nonetheless, it seems that more than any generation before it, we have been given everything we want through technology, and yet we don't feel we have enough. I grew up a missionary kid, and when I returned to Canada, I was surprised by the high-octane Western lifestyle. People were always on the go. No one just stopped and grabbed a beer anymore. You had to actually make an appointment and then time it to make sure you didn't hang out too long. And ever since being back, I have thought about these things extensively. Likewise, since being back, I think constantly about the connections between mental health, suicide, and loneliness, and how these three items always play into one another. Sadly, I do not have any good insights. So um, with this information coming at me about loneliness and busyness, um, I looked for you know, ways we can have hope or ways we can change our course. Um, and I found this article on Vox. It's a Vox first person piece. Um, their website is vox.com, V-O-X.com. And again, I'll link to this on the show notes for this episode. But it's written by Dr. David Spara, and he's a professor of psychology at the University of Arizona. The headline for this piece is, I trained myself to be less busy, and it dramatically improved my life. And here's how he, he opens this um, this article. This is the first paragraph. I am a robot programmed to obliterate my to-do list. During the day, I direct a research laboratory, write papers, and teach classes as a professor of psychology at the University of Arizona. Come 4.30 p.m., I run a kid limousine service, shuttling between various activities, preparing dinner, helping with homework, and the evening routine. I scurry through these activities, often missing the moments of joy embedded in everyday life until I have some sort of nightly electrical shortage, then crash out on the couch. I reboot in the morning and do it all again. I'm sure most people listening can identify with this in some way on some level. It seems like we wake up, hit the ground running, do all of the things all of the days and crash on the couch or in bed um, at the end of the day and try to figure out how we're going to do it again the next day without being miserable. So he talks about how he's addicted to busyness and he came to realize this through teaching a form of um, therapy to his students. And while he was teaching it, he was like, you know, I'm not, um, I'm not incorporating these methods into my own life. Um, busyness has devoured my values. I'm working, parenting, loving, emailing, and exercising in a sort of mindless way, just doing and doing. He says, busyness is not, nor was it ever, a guiding principle in my life. Yet I had the inertia of doing take deep root without realizing what was happening to me. So he saw this in his life and decided to change how he was living. And these are some of the things that he did. He spent more time outside. He focused on valuing idleness. He got off Facebook and he got serious about laughing more. He wrote, um, busyness, businesses, sorry, I can't say that. Busyness's neighbor is seriousness. Seriousness is overrated, and I feel much healthier and even childlike when I'm not taking myself so seriously when I'm trying to make other people laugh. He said he always, I'm sorry, he also focused more on his relationships as he was trying to 
um, detoxify himself from busyness. Um, he used to loathe the work pop in and too many unscheduled interruptions. And he got to a point where he um, started leaving his door a little more open and decided that friendships are a sustenance just like food. So he has, by and large, um, implemented these different changes, and he feels better than he has in a long time. And um, he writes, he makes more, wait, the choices he makes more connected to the people around him and more energized for the demands of the day. So the surprising irony here for him is that by doing less, he is getting way more out of life, and he has banished his inner robot. So I love how he closes that, that um, by doing less, he's getting more out of life. And that's what I've found in my own life. I um, adopted a slower pace of living when my kids were little and when I was diagnosed with bipolar disorder, and it just wasn't healthy for me to be living a very busy lifestyle. So when I feel myself getting really busy, it does seem like there's less of life happening. And then when I do slow down and give more attention to the present moment, life seems a lot more full. So being more mindful about busyness and employing some of the intentional actions Dr. Spara incorporated may help if you struggle with busyness and you think your busyness might be adding to your sense of loneliness. I also think being curious about our busyness may help us deal with it in healthy ways. Um, We can ask questions throughout each day. We can ask, why am I doing this? Is this a good use of my time? Is this helping me flourish? What do I need right now? When is the last time I connected with another human in a meaningful way face-to-face? I'm not talking about Facebook or Instagram. Like, when is the last time I sat down with a human and had a conversation that was meaningful? I also think there's some hope to be found in being intentional about spiritual practices that can offset our busyness and help us turn away from our busyness. And whenever I talk about spiritual practices, I talk about them from a perspective rooted in the gospel of grace. We don't practice spiritual disciplines to try to undo our sin We practice them as a response to God's invitation to be with Him and be with other people in meaningful ways. It's a response to God's invitation to slow down and give our attention to the present moment. I'm sure some people listening may be anti-spiritual discipline, and that's fine. But if you ever pray or you ever go to church or you ever read and meditate on the Word of God, you are practicing some spiritual disciplines. Some of us just happen to practice other ones as well. So some spiritual practices that come to mind with regard to busyness and how we might offset busyness are silence, solitude, hospitality, Lectio Divina, slowing, and establishing a rule of life. You can explore these spiritual disciplines by Googling them or reading books about spiritual disciplines. I love the Spiritual Disciplines Handbook by Adele Calhoun. It's a fantastic resource with a great overview of several different spiritual practices. She does a really good job explaining what each one of them is, and she gives suggestions on how to engage the different practices. So this topic is definitely worth more attention, um, in my opinion. Thanks for listening to Hope for the Lonely. Learn more about my writing and work at charlottedonlin.com.